0: you are listening to the bridge community church podcast out of warrenton virginia our church exists to connect you to god others and the marketplace for more information you can visit us online at bridge the number four life.com thank you for listening and we hope you are blessed by today's message And good morning, everybody. Hey, Merry Christmas. That was a little bit better. You're getting warmed up this morning. It's so good to see everybody here today. A beautiful day. You're sitting next to some of the most beautiful people in your life. More laughter than amen. I tell you, you need to work on your relational skills, people. Anyway, today we're going to begin a a mini-series related to Christmas, and today it is called The Joy of Christmas. And so we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2. Would everybody stand for the reading of the Word today? And we're just going to read verses 1 through 10. Come on, read with me today. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as the word is taught today that it guides, it instructs us, it challenges us, but it also, God, changes us. We are here to be continually processed into the image of Christ. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. So as we're looking at this message today called The Joy of Christmas, one of the emphases, you could probably tell, it will be on the attribute of joy. You saw One of the verses that we read today emphasized that. So we're going to be spending some time on the Magi today, how it relates to this joy. Because one of the things that people often associate with Christmas is that that search for joy, that want for joy. And if we're not careful, we'll start to think that it's more about the stuff rather than about the people that God has in our life and really about God himself. And everybody said amen to that. And I know that there's a lot of things that come with Christmas, the fun and the games. And, and uh, yeah, last night I was with the, our grandkids and they'd gotten our gifts wrapped for me and, and they call her Nana, me and Nana down there. You know her as Pastor Lisa. And so I decided to play that game. I said, so what'd you guys get me? And, you oh, know, I can't tell you, Papa G. I said, oh, come on, nobody's going to know. And so I was able to extract information And I know it's, uh, whatever the gift is, it's eight letters. I got that far, and I was right at the precipice of being able to buy a vowel. (laughs) And their mother and their nana stepped in and said, this game is over. Get out of the room. Your Papa G's going to get you to spill the beans on everything. So I am uh, making a list of uh, words associated with eight letters, but I don't know the vowels yet. It was fun and You know, those are kinds of things. You know, you make it having fun. And just playing around and, and, but really, sincerely, most of us, if we're not careful, will fall into a trap of, of the stuff rather than really realizing that joy is a journey that we cultivate and really when Christmas shows up, it's just another expression, listen to me, of the joy that we should already be in possession of. Really. It should be an extension of our joy, not, oh, now, finally, after, and I know some of you already think this, wow, thank God, 2021 is almost over. Some of you have such bad memories, you went to Facebook and you deleted 2021 completely off your Facebook. Doesn't even exist. The last thing we know about you was 2020. And there wasn't a lot of good things happening there either, amen? But no, seriously, I want us to see how these magi... Which, by the way, history tells us they were coming out of Persia, which is today, modern day Iran. And so if you look at that that journey, that was a pretty deliberate and long and arduous journey. And it says that they were overjoyed when the star appeared to them. And of course, we know that it played out in some other things. So I want us to look at them as an example of how to cultivate our journey for a lifestyle of joy. Everybody said amen to that. So number one, read this with me. Read the first point. Joy comes from divine, it comes from divine revelation. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so... They had had they were known as the some of the greatest minds of their day I was telling somebody after the first service that in this particular part of the world Persia had become sort of the university of the world at that even even with Rome in power some of the greatest learning was in Persia and so many cultures would send some of their most brightest and their best into that region to learn and then bring them back and so here they had been studying and they had discovered Something that rocked them and excited them so much that they were willing to take this long and arduous journey to try to figure out what it is. And it's really what we know this today because it's called we call it divine revelation, because we all know what that star meant and what it was associated with. They weren't sure, they had a lot of details, and it was enough for them to take that journey. And I say this because many of you in this room know some of the other verbiages that we use in American culture to describe divine revelation. We call them aha moments. How many have ever had an aha moment where you put two and two together on something and you went, oh my goodness. And you were so excited about what you put together or figured out, you told somebody and they go, yeah, 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 that's great, that's awesome. I've told you that three times. Well, if you told me, I must have forgot because all I know, and it also tells us something else about divine revelation. There's something to be said about self-discovery. It's one thing to have somebody try to teach you something and learn something, but when we engage in something and we discover it on our own, isn't it amazing how we want to tell everybody and then we find out that half of everybody already knew it? You know, it's kind of like you were just being left on the outside. But it's was, it was profound. Why? Because you discovered it. Part of learning is just not having somebody tell you something. It's having somebody being able to, or be able to guide you in a process where you can begin your own journey of self-discovery and learning and developing. And they, that leads to what I call even more aha moments. It's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful lifestyle to be, able to, to be able to have the tools in life. And so hopefully some of our education helps us in that arena. I pray that some of the things that we do here as a church helps you to go on those journeys and go, Man, did you know? I was reading in the Bible. Did you know this? Did you know that? It's powerful moments. We've all had that. But the other side of that too is in this divine revelation realm is when you're wrestling with something and you've, you feel like you've exhausted everything that you know, and then suddenly the idea comes, the solution comes, and you go, I don't have a background that should have known that. I, I thought I'd exhausted this whole thing. I thought I'd processed it to the best of my ability. I thought i had tapped every resource, but suddenly something was dropped in your brain. Something was dropped in your heart. And you knew it didn't come from you. You knew it didn't come from your background. You knew it didn't come from your reasoning. And, it, and can I just tell you, this divine revelation element means this. I so value this because that means God's talking to you. And when we have those aha moments with God, they become Mountaintop experiences—they become embedded in our history. They become embedded in our brain. I know for me, on a personal level, you know, as a pastor, you just sometimes you're struggling with how to resolve things or what to do. And and I don't mind telling you, you know, especially these last twenty months or so, as this COVID thing was going on. God, I want to do what's right. God, I want to help people, but I would never want to put them in a precarious position unnecessarily. I would never want to cross lines. But God, I don't know what to do. How do we pull this off? How how do we make this happen? I'm convinced that we need to do something, but I'm not sure what to do. And you do all this mental gymnastics and God would just drop something in my head and my heart that I didn't know beforehand. I didn't have any reason to go looking back in my past and go, oh, he reminded me. There was nothing back there to remind me, to be reminded. And I, I might just get a little emotional on this, but I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. So many times... When those things have happened, I've said, God, thanks for talking to me. Thanks. I mean, I know you got world problems, you got wars, you got famines, you got this, you got a worldwide virus, and here's a pastor in the middle of Warrington, Virginia, asking for something. And you had the time, you had the means to talk to me. And I'm telling you, there's no substitute when you're wrestling with some of the big issues of life and you just go, I've exhausted counsel, I've exhausted talk, I've exhausted reasoning. And then suddenly God just says, here's what you need to do. And you go, where did that come from? Can I just tell you, instead of saying that, you just need to say, thank you for talking to me. He still talks people. It would make it easy if he had a star that we could all just follow. Wouldn't that make life really easy? The problem is in Warrington, even if he sent a star, we have such overcast weather, we'd miss it half the time. So, so God just sometimes just talks to us in our heart and our mind. Number two, I want you to read this out loud. Joy comes from, Joy comes from divine direction. So again, looking at Christmas, not so much what we get as what we have, what's the momentum of our life, it's having direction that you know why you get up in the morning, you know why you do what you do, you know how you do it, you know who you're doing it for, and you put your head back on the pillow and say, I want to do that again tomorrow, and you go, well, what kind of job do you have? I pastor a church, and I hope you feel the same way. I want to do life with the people that I'm doing it with. And I want to keep doing life the way I'm doing it with people. You notice here it says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. We sometimes get so familiar with the story, we miss what is actually being said. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I'm sure they, we also know they were excited on seeing the baby Jesus, right? But in this context, it's the star. Why? Because the star gave them direction. They knew something was happening out there, but it's a vast landscape. So how did they know where to go? They knew something was happening beyond the horizons. So how are they, they going to know where, which horizon to chase? Should they go south? Should they go southwest? Should they go straight straight to the west? Should they go uh, to the northwest? Should they go north? How, and, the, and God sent a star and said, how about I give you direction so that you know which part of the horizon to chase? Listen, we all need that. Life is full of multiple horizons and we can't chase them all. And so to have this direction and the word here is this, it's overjoyed and I'm giving you the Greek there because this is so so amazing. You notice there's no other definition that follows it, right? You're thinking, "Well, Pastor must have done a typo." No, Pastor didn't do a typo. He did that last week, but he didn't do it this week. <laughs> when Pastor makes a mistake, he does like triple, quadruple checks the next week to make sure there's no typos. Okay? And the, the the Greek word is megas It's where we get our word mega. How cool is that? It was mega joy. The only reason we don't translate it that way, it just doesn't sound very holy. You know, hey, let's give them a mega cheer. Let's give them a mega joyful sound. You know, we just go, that just, that just doesn't work spiritually. So we come up with spiritual, ter- but the, it's mega. So that, now you understand these are magi. These are educated. These are well-learned individuals. What would it take for them not just to be joyous, but to have mega joy? Well, it was because they had received direction. To receive direction in the fact that God's activity was on the horizon, but they didn't know exactly where to go. And so, how do we know today? Like I said, it would be wonderful we all could wake up and it was always a clear, uh, clear night and there was a star and we just—that's all we had to do every day, just just go to the star. We don't have that. So, how do we find divine direction? Some of this I'm going to rehearse uh, that I've done over the last few weeks, but first of all, it starts, I'm mean, going to go to other scriptures and just kind of paint a picture on finding God's direction. It says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So number one here, it starts with this, God's not going to give me something that I'm not asking for. So it starts off with me asking for God to give me wisdom. Secondly, you will see this. It says he gives generously. So God can sometimes tell us more than we thought we needed to know. How great is it that God just says, Here, I'm not going to be stingy with what I know. I'm going to tell you a lot because I want you to be aware of what you need to do. Here's a critical piece without finding fault God says, You're imperfect. But I will not hold that against you when you need direction. When you need wisdom, God says, I'll talk to you in spite of your... See, sometimes we go, well, obviously, God is being quiet because he's upset at me. God's given me the cold shoulder. God's given me the silence. And God says, no, no, I don't... If you ask for wisdom, God says, I will not give you the cold shoulder. I will give it to you generously, and I will do it without finding fault. God says, I won't use this as a battering ram on you. Wow. The fact that God wants to talk and give direction, and he knows I'm imperfect. God says, I'm just excited to have a conversation with you. The wisdom. Secondly, you'll see this. I've used this in the past, but I kind of want to paint a total picture In John 5, 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, he was answering some inquiries, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. I've often referred to this. So what we have here is this. If I need wisdom, it says I'm to ask God. But what am I to be asking? Well, first of all, I need to stop praying as if God is sitting silently and doing nothing. Oh God, I need you to move here. And God's going, "Uh, I already am. God, I need you to get over there. God's like, you realize I'm omnipresent. I'm here and I'm there. God, I need you to go. God says, I'm already over there too. So how should we be praying? So if I need wisdom, I need to start with this. God, you're doing stuff I don't know. So I need the wisdom to recognize what it is that you're doing. So I know how to cooperate with this. Because it would be, we sometimes, I've said, we pray as if God's got all this power, but no ideas, and then we pray like we have the ideas, but no power, and so God, if we could match my ideas and your power, we could solve world problems here. And, it's, and God's not going, oh, I never thought of that, thank you for that, brilliant, 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 thank you, I had all this power and had no idea how to use it. No, we need to say, look, I just don't know what you're up to, you're always doing something. It's just that I don't know what you're doing. So show me what. So give me the wisdom to see what you're doing. Then we come into Matthew 6, 9 through 10, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose will are we praying? God's will. So it's not now, God, here are five things that you need to do by the end of the month. We sometimes serve God a punch list, like, you you serve me. No, you need to be saying, listen, I don't know what you're doing. Can you show me what you're doing so that I know my response? I want to be a part of facilitating your activity. God, I've got ideas. Just ask me. But God, I don't know everything. I'm only praying from the point of understanding of what I know. I don't know everything. So, God, show me what you're doing in my son who's running from you. Show me what you're doing in my husband who's running from you. Show me what you're doing in my wife who's running from you. Show me what you're doing in my daughter who's running. Show me my, what you're doing in my grandkids. Show me what you're doing in my friends, my neighbor. Show me what you're up to so I know what I need to do. Because you're working, I just don't know what. And therefore, I'd, it's just easy for me to come up with ideas. I need to come alongside you, Jesus. I don't need you coming alongside me. I need to come alongside you. Let's make sure we're following and he's leading. Then the other part is this. You get this magnificent idea. And you just are just so excited that this is the answer. And then a month later you find out you missed it. How many have ever thought you had the answer and then later on you found out it wasn't an answer. Somebody I've used this analogy before. You just thought you wanted that door open and then Jesus didn't open it and then sometime later something else opened it and you went, "Thank you for not opening that door, Jesus." So, James chapter 3 verse 17. So, how do you how do you know it's Jesus and not pizza from the night before talking to you? Okay? I go through this a lot, this part. The wisdom that comes from heaven of all is, first of all, pure. What does it mean? Can I honestly say what I sense God wanting to do has no hidden agenda on my part? Can I honestly say that? Peace-loving. God doesn't call me to go out and cause problems and stir up trouble. He's called us to be peace. Didn't he say, blessed are the peacemakers? So am I going out and making things better, or or is this idea, am I going to go out and make things worse for people? Because God didn't put me here to make problems. He put me here to make solutions. It doesn't take a gift to recognize. There is no gift of criticism. I have the gift of fault-finding. No, you don't. You just got a bad attitude. God's people see problems. They acknowledge them. And they say, what can I do to solve it? So we're peace-loving. We're considerate. Is the decision that I'm about to do considering people who will be affected? Or is my decision-making process considerate? of? They may not agree, but I have to understand where they're coming from and appreciate. So am I considerate? Am I being submissive? God doesn't call me to rise up and rebel against the authorities He's put over me. God never needs rebellion to help him out. He's already had one of those. Come on. He's already had somebody who tried that part, and it didn't go good. Full of mercy. You know, sometimes when you make a decision, you don't give people what they deserve when you could. You think, praise God, now it's come around, I have the authority, now we're going to settle the score. Well, I'm not saying that sometimes we shouldn't hold people accountable, but sometimes you have a check in your heart going, be sure that you don't just follow the letter of the law, be sure you follow the spirit of the law of what's needed here. And you know what? Sometimes you don't give people what they deserve you back it down because you're you know what they need to learn and it's more important that the spirit of the law be upheld than the letter of the law and then you come to that part it says good fruit impartial sincere a real test of leadership is that impartial and sincere part because When you have the authority, sometimes you can't make a decision that makes everybody happy. There's this thing called somebody has to end up with the short end of the stick. And that's the hard part of leadership. When you're assigned to make the call and it's obvious that there's no win for everybody. So now you have to make that hard decision on who gets the short end of the stick. And it's really difficult... When you recognize that as a leader, the best thing for everybody involved is you get the short end of the stick. Not because it's being forced on you. You have the authority. You're the one making the call. You're the one making the decision. And the real test of leadership is you don't use that position to go, well, bless God, since I have the authority, that ain't happening. But you go, you know what, part of a leader's job is to make sure that what can be done best for everyone is done. And in this instance, you know what's best for everybody is that I get the short end of the stick. And I'm going to do it. It's the real test of leadership because, let me give you an example, we call it servant leadership. Jesus modeled that. Jesus knew somebody had to end up with the short end of the stick. Somebody had to die for all the sins. You know what Jesus did? He didn't wait to see if he drew it. He just went to the sticks and he said, Where's the short end of the stick? I'll just take it. The best thing for everybody, Jesus said, was me to take the short stick even though I have the authority to make sure that I didn't end up with the short stick. I could have passed that on to anybody and anything. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because here's the thing, it wouldn't serve everybody. But if I take that, that short stick, everybody is served. And we're his followers. And that's what we do. If you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position where you make decisions, I understand the, 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 that those windows when you go, man, there is no win-win decision here. I gotta, but the hardest thing you'll ever decide is when you recognize I take the hit so everybody else here is good. That's the real test of a leader. Everybody said amen? amen? Number three, read it out loud. Joy comes from divine protection. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi were warned. But even in verse 13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, Get up he said take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him so twice here in the story we read about divine protection that God supernaturally steps in now these are instances when when you have these kind of manifestations of a dream or you have an angel appear it's really not hard to go i think this is god it's an angel but you know, so often in times in day-to-day life, we, we miss sometimes God's protection. And some of you have a history. You can think back this last year or even the year before when you saw in the rearview mirror, God had your back. And if it wasn't for him, you may not be here today. And I recognize that not everything plays out well in life, but we, many of us in life have had experiences when you recognize, Wow. That could have turned out totally different, and who knows what life may look like today if God hadn't protected us. Back in March, my wife and I went to Florida on our vacation, and on our way back, we came up the 95, got off at the 17, and we were uh, approach. We came into Bealton, and there was somewhat heavy traffic, and as we were leaving Bealton, coming up on this side, coming up the 17. There was a there was a semi who seemed to be having all sorts of issues and you know he he was going 40 miles an hour now the speed limit was 55 cars are backed up you know every, I know you know what everybody was thinking like you know there's a lane on the right side brother why don't you just move over and let us how many have ever had a conversation with somebody in the other vehicle you're like come on so after a while you know we were probably I mean there was quite a line behind us but there was. We were probably the fifth car back, and finally the first car just moved over. Nobody was honking. Nobody was being, you know, whacked out. They just finally moved over in the other lane and passed them on the other side. And, you know, you could see the second car wake. The guy was going about four. He wasn't going to move. So over to that that slow lane and pass, and, you know, everybody was doing that, just kind of like waiting to see if the trucker was going to get the signal and he just wasn't so everybody just kept moving over so it was now our turn so we got up to him and went into the right lane and we got right we were we were you're at that halfway point you know what I'm talking about and he decides to move over he didn't even use a turn signal he just decides to move over so here he starts coming and uh I'm like okay so I lay on the horn nonstop. (laughs) my car his truck you know we all know how that's going to go right Pastor uh, Lisa is now having emotional expressions. You just need to know it was all pure and it was all good. But she felt inclined to tell me that the truck was coming. And, you know, you need to do, you know, she doesn't call me pastor in the car. Craig, you need to do something. You are like do something. What, what, what am I gonna do with the truck? That's decided? so I, you know, I'm still laying on the horn, and he's just he's not responding. So I now have to put two wheels. If you know, there's no hardly any emergency. I mean, it's like 18 inches of pavement, and then you're in the grass. So I had two wheels in the grass, and he just keeps coming. I have not let off the horn, and he just keeps coming. And I know, you know, all the mo- all of a sudden, you know, you notice how fast you assess a situation in five seconds. You know, you know, I can't slow down because of other people behind me. I know I can't hit the brakes because I'm on grass, you know. And so he continues, now I am four-wheeling in the grass in my car. And my, my car is not built for four-wheeling, just letting you know that. And so I could rapidly, I just looked ahead, didn't see any mailboxes, signs, didn't see any driveway, because that was my big fear, a culvert, a driveway culvert. And so I, I gradually, I have not laid off the horn yet. I'm still laying on the horn. And I finally just gradually speed up and get in front of him. And my wife, after we get in front, she goes, you were so calm. <laughs> I said, but now I can let it all out. I said, at that moment, I just wanted to live. You know, it's just, you just tunnel in. You know, and I was, as I was putting the final touches on this message yesterday, it was just one of the things that came back, you know, as I look back at 2021 and I go, you know, Dave... God could have looked totally different. I didn't go to driving school for that kind of driving. You know, I, you know there's no special, I mean, I know, I know our police officers and some of our security people go to these driving schools. I didn't have all that, you know, it's just like, just running on instinct and coming out of that. And then it wasn't until later, you know, you start to register how that just could have been so bad in so many different ways. And so I thank God for his divine protection. You do. Because, you know, I know that it doesn't always turn out that way. But in my situation, I was like, hey, God, thank you. Thank you for being on my journey. That when I needed you, you were there. You got us out of a jam. But, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the fact that God doesn't prevent jams. If you look at Psalm chapter 34... It's got a lot of scriptures that people like to recite, but most people don't know the context of Psalm 34. David is wanted. The king has decided to kill him. And he says, take him dead or alive. But the king is emphasizing dead because the king doesn't want to have a trial. He just wants David dead. And so David has nowhere else to run. He has to go to the Philistines who are their enemies. And the only way David can pull this off and live among the Philistines is he has to act crazy. And so he's falling on the ground and foaming at the mouth and just doing this big fake job. And that's the only way that he knows how to survive. Psalm 34 is what he wrote when he lived through it. And I want you to look at these verses. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. David saying, man, I was in the Philistine camp. If they knew I was sane, they would have killed me. But I had to act nuts. I had to act crazy. I had to, I had to do things that were, I didn't want to beat, but I had to act that way in order to survive. And David says, even in the midst of that, I felt God's angel had me. He protected me. In Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Notice it doesn't say he keeps you from your troubles. The righteous, you know how many times David must have been crying out as he was faking insanity? Oh God, just let me, just let me go home. Just let me see my brothers, my dad, my friends. God, I can't even go home because the king, there is not going to be a trial. I'm not even going to make it to the jail. He's going to kill me on sight or as he's transporting me. The righteous cry out. And then you come to Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles. Boy, there's a promise I could live without. <laughs> but the Lord delivers him from them all. Can I tell you this? 2021, some of you, I know some of your stories. Some of you, this was your hardest year. And it may not even been related to COVID. Just life happens. How many know that even with COVID, other stuff still went on? Amen. Can I tell you something? God's always got your back. He always has your back. You say, well, I don't see. Then ask him to show you his activity because it says he's always at work. What you don't know is you don't see it. So you need to start off with asking for the wisdom to see what he's doing. But God has... You're back and everybody said amen. amen number four read it out loud joy comes from divine it comes from divine promise now i'm going to jump to the luke account because there's a story about the shepherds and it's a it's a phrase that most people are familiar with but they don't understand the background of why this is so meaningful It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice he says this is going to be great joy for all the people. So this is not just Jewish people, this is also for the riffraff, this is also for the thieves, the murderers, this is for the Romans, he says all people, it's We would have expected, especially the Jewish people would have said, for all the Jewish people. No, he said everybody. Now notice how the story starts off. The angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Why would the angel start off that way? Because the teaching of the day was this, the Messiah is coming, and when the Messiah comes, heads are going to roll, baby. I'm telling you, every nation, every person that has ever risen up against this nation of Israel, anybody that has ever heard us, man, heads are going to roll. And if you're in Israel and you're a Jewish person and you aren't holy, man, are you in trouble. You better pray that the Messiah doesn't come today or tomorrow. That was the teaching. Messiah is going to have the heads roll. So this is a group of shepherds. By this particular time of the day or this particular uh, time uh, uh, in history, the shepherds had fallen out of great favor and they were considered one of the lowest forms of life in Jewish uh, culture. They were not romanticized like we do. Uh, He wasn't like uh, uh, David, you know, out being a shepherd. These were the scum of the earth. They were thieves. They were murderers. They would rip you off. In fact, in their day, by this time, if a shepherd witnessed a crime, they were not even credible as a witness in court. You couldn't call a shepherd as a witness, even if they had firsthand knowledge. They were dismissed because their profession and the type of person that it was attracting was horrible. Now that you understand that, when the angel showed up, what do you think the, the shepherd's first thought was? Oh, crud. We are dead. We've heard of this. We knew they've been telling us. And wouldn't you know, tonight's the night. Our heads roll. And what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. What does he follow it up with? I bring you good news. Because see, right for them, it was all bad. That will cause great joy for all the people. Wow. So the question is, what was that great news? Well, I'm going to give you a little exegetical uh, insight, and then we're going to get to that. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. He uses that word good news ten times in the Gospel of Luke, and he uses it nine times in the book of Acts. So obviously, this is a big deal to him. It's a big theme, right? Good news, good news. Why? Because the Messiah was supposed to show up as a judge and the sword was to be out and boom, some heads are supposed to roll and instead, he says, no, it's not that at all. It's actually good news because the good news is this. God has sent his son into the world, first of all, to be the savior. He didn't show up as a judge. He showed up as a savior. You understand what the good news was? God didn't come to cut your head off. God came to come into your heart. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Whoa! Nobody, nobody at the temple was teaching that the Messiah was going to be coming in good favor. Hey, by the way, he will come a second time. And he will be on a white horse. And he will come a judge. And heads will roll. But right now, he's as a savior. See, this is why John three sixteen and 17 is so crucial. Because the Jewish people expected the judge. And instead, it was a savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's critical. You go to the next verse here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Which was what was being taught, but to save the world through him. God said, Before I show up as a judge, I want to show up as a savior. I, I I I don't want my first appearance on planet Earth as judge. I want my first appearance as savior. I want people to see me as savior. And can I tell you something? There are people are listening today, who are under the sound of my voice in this building, whether you be online, and you know what? You're waiting for the big boom from God, and God says, today's not the day for the big boom to be lowered on you. Today is the day, he says, I want to change your life. I want to save you. God says, listen, man, I didn't bring you to church to whack you. I didn't bring you to church to beat on you. I didn't bring you to church to cut your head off and all that stuff. Listen, I brought you to church because I want you to know I care about you. Now, yeah, there's a day that he's going to come, the second coming, and he will be that. But today is the day of salvation. It's never too late to change the momentum of your life. Never. Because today is still the day of salvation. Everybody say amen. Last thing is this, joy comes from a right response to divine activity. I've talked a little bit about accepting Christ, but it says this in verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these magi had accepted Jesus' divinity. They recognized it. And what was their response? So many times we put an emphasis on people accepting Christ. But then what is their response after that? And we see these magi. The first one is called worship. Now, I'm going to give you the word for this in the Greek, and I'm going to give you where it comes from, and I hope it doesn't offend anybody. But the Greek word here is called proskuneo. So you can kind of sense that we get our English word prostate, prostrate coming from there. But on the other side of that is this. It's actually a word that is borrowed referring to a domesticated dog. Some of you will go home and what will be your dog's response when you walk through the door? Some of you will encounter a slobber fest. Depending on the type of dog, yeah. But, you know, every time you walk in, the dog is just excited to see you. You're home. You're the greatest and most wonderful thing. Feed me, feed me, feed me. You know, but the dog jumps all over. You know, you, you, you bring in a new guest. What's the first thing your dog wants to do? You know, Did you know that word worship, that's what it's talking about? It's the excitement that the master's in the room. So I want you to process this. So this is why when we sing, we lift our hands. Why? The master's in the room. Why do we sing? The master's in the room. Why do we clap? The master's in the room. Our grandkids—they have a little dog called Oliver. I'm getting reacclimated to a domesticated animal. But already, he has some in, in, intricacies. We walk in the door, and he's all excited. You know, he's, oh, you're home. Oh, you know, you can just be, you're wonderful. And you'll say, hey, come here, Oliver. And I don't know where he picked this up, but we'll say, come here, Oliver. He comes, and then it's like somebody shot him. He just drops. I mean, it's like, it's not a subtle, it's not a roll. It's just, he comes, and then he just like falls, and he just stays there like he got shot waiting for you to do whatever he wants you to do, you know, and, and then he'll say, well, stand up, and he'll stand up, and you'll say, come here, Oliver, boom. Down he goes again. It's the craziest thing in the world, but, but he's just, excited. He he's like, pet me, touch me. He's excited. You know, that's the word for worship. God says, I want you to be excited that I'm in the room. And then the other part is this, it's called giving. It says they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. I feel like one of the things that uh, Christianity in America has lost is understanding how giving is worship and giving is a tool. It has been so presented as fundraising. And so as soon as you say giving, people go boom, the radar goes up, walls go up, here it comes. And here, just hear me out on how giving works. What it does. Giving is a tool that allows us to take part of life's activity from one arena and move it into another arena. Okay. So you, many of you have jobs. Okay? And so because of that activity, they then pay you, right? Nobody gets paid. You're all just volunteering all through the week, right? So 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 you 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 do this. And what is that when they pay you, they, they pay you in dollars, and what it it allows you to translate that activity into another arena. Now I can put a roof over my family's head. I, can, I have a house. I now have the ability to take that activity and translate it over here and put food on the table. I can now take that activity over here and translate it, send my kids to school. I can translate it, I can go buy you know, gifts for Christmas. Those kind. Does everybody see, money is a tool that allows us to move activity from one arena to another. And this is especially even God's activity. So I I believe God's activity is a job. If you're unemployed and you get a job, you'll start to see that job as a God provider. Okay, that job was a miracle. And so you can take that activity and what? You can give it to a missionary. You can, you saw we helped 86 families who will be able to have a Christmas. So you're able to take activity that God gave you and translate it by helping another family have have their Christmas. Does that make sense? We need to see it as a tool of moving God's activity around from one arena to another. That's why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because you're facilitating his activity when you do that. And I'm telling you, when you see it and you experience it, it's addictive. There's nothing better than to know that what you did put a smile on the other person's face. I'm warning you, it's addictive when somebody tells you, thank you, it changed my life. Thank you, I didn't know, I didn't know anybody knew we were in need. Thank you, I didn't know that anybody appreciated. I'm telling you, giving is moving God's activity from one arena to another. And boy, once you get that in your head and in your soul, you can't stop. You're like, Jesus, please send me more because I know it's not for me. It's to be done through me. And I love what he does through me. I hope you enjoy what he does through you. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand and wrap up the service this morning. Would you do that? Hey, all over this house, as we wrap up the service, would you just lift your hands? I want you to praise Him for being the God who sends His activity into your arenas of life, into, through you, not only for you, man, He does it through you for others. Come on, let's take about a few, a few seconds here and praise Him for that this morning.